Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. All right, well, as we get ready to start here, praise the Lord. All right, if you turn in your Bibles to Genesis 21, we'll get ready to continue here in our study and um, we'll start in verse 12 just before we, just after we pray. Father, thank you so much for, Lord, your presence with us today. We're a class, Lord. We're, meet, we're meeting now to learn of you, you said, and we would find rest for our souls. And thank you for that promise in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Genesis chapter 21, verse 12. And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of thy bondwoman. In all that Sarah has said unto thee, hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And also of the son of the bondwoman will I make a nation because he is thy seed. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water was spent in the bottle, and she cast the child under one of the bushes. And she went and sat her down over against him a good way off, as it were a bow shot. And she said, for, for she said, let me not see the death of the child. For she sat, and she sat over against him and lift up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad, and the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said unto her, What aileth thee, Hagar? Fear not, for God hath heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him in thine hand, for I will make him a great nation. And God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the bottle with water and gave the lad drink. And God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. And he dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took him a wife out of the land of Egypt. All right, so, so far in our study in the book of Genesis here in Genesis 21, and we were looked and we saw, we've been studying here and focusing on certain focuses that God has brought our attention to. So here we were in verses one through two, and we saw there that God focused our attention on Sarah, who had experienced the fulfillment of God's promise, his oath. He made a promise to them to have a child to promise, and they did. And then we saw in verses three through five how God focused us on Abraham, on the person of Abraham. And we saw that he obeyed God. He named the child in obedience to God, Isaac. He circumcised Isaac. And then in verses six through eight, we saw how God focused us back on Sarah, who was overwhelmed with joy over the birth of Isaac. And she was just so happy. She was making jokes. And it was a really wonderful time. And we saw there that Abraham was was also very joyful. And Abraham made this big feast at the weaning of Isaac. 
And, and, and then in verses 9 through, I don't know if he ate very much Isaac at the weaning, but anyways, everybody else did. <laughs> and then in verses 6, and then we saw in verses 9 through 10, how God then turned our focus back on Sarah at that feast, as, and we saw her as she caught a glimpse and she saw, and she got it out of the side of her eye, and then she turned it. She really drilled in on it, and she saw Ishmael mocking Isaac. And God caused us to see how all of this Sarah's overwhelming joy instantly with that sight turned to an overwhelming hatred of Ishmael and Hagar, as we saw. And Sarah drew the lines of competition for Abraham between Ishmael, whom she with great emphasis in verse 10 said, this is the son of this bondwoman. And the competition was set up as she looked at Isaac, said, this is her, my son, her son, my son, Isaac, whom she put great emphasis when she said, my son. And we saw in verse 10 how Sarah had just demanded of Abraham without any mercy and without any compromise whatsoever. She demanded that Abraham cast out Ishmael and Hagar into the desert of death. And, and, and her justification for her demand? Verse 10, the son of this bondwoman shall not, she emphasizes, shall not be heir with my son. And then in our last study in verses 11 through 14, we saw then God focused us back on Abraham and the trouble that this caused for his soul, which was called the grief the grievous, grievous to his soul, very grievous, troubled him. And we saw how God calmed Abraham by a promise, by the promise that God would, say, God said to Abraham, don't you worry about Hagar and Ishmael, Abraham, I'm going to take care of them. And, they're gonna, and he's gonna become a, a great people also. And so with that, God was, was able, or Abraham was able to find the peace that he needed so that he could go select this bottle, the skin with the water, and put the water. And then we saw how in really human tenderness, on, on, on this little detail is added there, that he puts the bottle of water on Hagar's shoulder, and he sends them off, committing them into the caring arms of God. That's what he did. And by the way, the description in verse 14 of a bottle of water appears nowhere else in Scripture. It's the only time it's used. The term is not referring to how we think. It's not, you know, it's not a plastic bottle. It's not a non-BPA bottle, you know, five-cent CRV. It's not referring to that. It's a, uh, recycle. It's a skin. It's a skin that is made to hold water. But, but, uh, and, and it, 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 but we read it, whether you think of it or whatever you think of it, a bottle of water, this big, you know, desert, un, uh, you know, desert with the heat of no mercy and so forth. It just seems so pathetic when we look at it, doesn't it? I mean, here's a bottle of water for you too. Now you go off and, uh, you know, I, I don't know where you're going to find water. It's so pathetic. It's so sad when we read those words, a bottle of water, a bottle of water. How about a camel full of water, you know, <laughs> a bottle of water in, in a desert. And it just shows, if we kind of focus on that, it's really kind of symbolic of man's inability to provide. You know, the, the, these words in verse 14, a bottle of water in the desert, seems so inadequate, so inadequate compared to God's provisions. And it reminds us of what God did for the Jewish people in the desert when, when they needed water. As it says in Exodus 17, 6, he says, Behold, I will stand there, stand, I will stand before thee, there upon the rock in Oreb, and he said to, to Moses, thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it. 
that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Can you imagine that scene? I mean, they're in the desert, there's no water, and he's standing in front of a rock, and he says, and before it happened, he says, now, you know, water's going to come out of this rock, <laughs> right? Water's going to come out of the rock. And when Moses was recounting the wonder of it all, the wonder that God made water to come out of a rock in the desert, he had a very important detail in Numbers 20, verse 8, when he said this, take the rod, gather thou the assembly, as God speaking to Moses, take the rod, gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, speak unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water. What water? What is this? What does a rock have water? But he said that. It shall give forth his water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock, and he said, so, that, so thou shalt give the congregation, and one little detail, he says, and their beasts drink. He says, not the people only, but their beasts. You know why that's so wonderful? Because it shows God thinks about all the needs, even the animals. I don't know what kind of animals they had there. Maybe they had a French poodle, I don't know. But anyway, some of them might have. But so, so it was something that Moses never got over this again. And he recounted it to the Jewish people over and over again. Especially, he brought it up in the book of recounting, the book of the second time sayings, do, do, two times, Deuteronomy, second law. In Deuteronomy verses, in chapter 8, verse 15, he was going over this and he said, you know, now I want you to really think about what happened. And he says to Moses, says to the Jewish people, remember God led you through that great and terrible Wilderness. I have no idea why the King James and all their translations call this the wilderness. We talked about it last week. It's like the Cleveland National Forest with no trees. You know, there's no wilderness there. It's a desert. Mibar. It says, "Who led thee through the great and terrible desert, wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought, and where there was no water. No water." Moses emphasizes that. No water. And then he says who brought thee forth water out of the rock. And then he adds another little detail we didn't know this before. Out of the rock of flint. So that tells us what kind of rock it was in case there was any question about it. It says the rock of flint. It was a rock of flint. And, and, and he couldn't get over this. Moses could not get over how God brought them water out of the rock. And David couldn't get over it either. And how wonderful this was that he, when he, that, that he, he told the account over and over again. And each time with a new em- emphasis, new aspect that he kept emphasizing in, in Psalm 78 when he told it. He says, he claved the rocks in the wilderness. He broke them. He broke the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink as out of the great depths. So like they hit this big giant aquifer down there, this big giant well, this big geyser coming up, you know, this old faithful. He's talking about a rock. And he says this water just came out in such abundance. It was like it was coming out of the great depths. And then it says, and then David goes on and he says, he brought streams also out of the rock. This was no trickle that came out of this rock. This was a, this was a giant stream. That was not stream, but streams. Many streams came up out of this rock. And he caused waters to run down like rivers. He says, what a sight that must have been. God claved the rocks like he hit a geyser there in a great deep. Streams, rivers. These are the things that David is emphasizing to us. And he, said, he goes on in Psalm 105, verse 41. He says, he opened the rock 
he opened the rock and the waters gushed out, it says. The waters gushed out and they ran in the dry places like a river. That's what it says. That's what he said. He said, look at those words. He says, you know, it's just a, he says that he, just, he opened it up. They gushed out. They ran like rivers. And then he goes on in Psalm 114, verse 8, continuing on this theme, he says, which turned the rock into a standing water, the flint into a fountains of water. It's like a lake that was formed out there, standing water, and the flint into fountain of water. So this is really something when we see what God did for, for the people there in the desert, which Moses and David helped us to, to, just to not let it go out of our minds. So when we read that, in contrast, we're thinking about that, and then we read in verse 14, Genesis 21, we read in verse 14, a bottle of water, it's so pathetic, it's so inadequate compared to God's provisions. And it reminds us what God said that he would provide for the Jewish people. He said in Deuteronomy 32, 13, he said, he made him, the Jewish people, he made him, Israel, to ride on the high places of the earth that he might increase that he might that he might eat that he might eat Israel might eat the increase of the fields and he made him to suck honey out of the rock so try that one he says to suck honey out of the rocks not just the water the honey so that both are good and, and, and then he says an oil out of the flinty rock. So now the rock is not only giving the, the, the water, he gives the honey, I like honey. He gives the honey, and then he gives the oil. All of this is a great provision. And this is the words that describe what the Lord Jesus Christ had planned for them. He, he planned, I want a plan for you. You're gonna ride on the high places. You're gonna eat the increase of the fields. You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna have such honey that's coming out of the rock and such oil out of the flinty rock. And think about how Abraham's provision, in contrast to this verse 14, a bottle of water, symbolizes only what just so you just look at it, you say, that's all a man can do, is provide for another person. But David speaks about the Lord in Psalm 36, 9, when he says, For with thee is the fountain of life. In thy light shall we see light. Not just a trickle, but a fountain of life. Oh, so much. And when the Lord Jesus Christ said on, about himself, this is what he was talking about. He says in John 14, 6, when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The life, that's the life. The fountain of life. The Lord Jesus Christ becomes not a bottle of water. He's a fountain of life. And, and, and that's what he was speaking of when he was with the Samaritan woman in John 4.10, when he said, Jesus answered and said unto her, if thou knewest the gift of God, and she's thinking in her mind, well, what is the gift of God? And he right away corrects her thinking by saying, it's not a what, it's a who. If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, give me drink, thou wouldest have asked of him and he would have given thee living water. And she came to know who the gift of God was, the same one who is the fountain of living water. So from verse 14, when it says a bottle of water, and from these other verses, we see this parallel. We can see a parallel set up to a man's bottle of water to keep alive versus God's fountain of life in the Lord Jesus Christ. As he said in John 4, 13 through 14, 4, 13 through 14, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him, a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And, and he is referring to the, the Holy Spirit, 
that the, that the believer who came to him would be the source. It shall be, he says, it'll be in you a well of water springing up into everlasting life. It's exactly what he meant when he said in John 7, 38, he that believe on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Water is so important. You know, in, in, in uh, Ethiopia, we have, uh, you know, by our compound there, we, people live to an average age, I told you before, to 42 diseases. And one of the reasons they don't live so long is they die for starvation because, because there's a problem with water when there's a drought. And so on our compound, they, the, the 12 acres there in Budajira, that it's about two and a half hours south of Odison. So they, they, they said, okay, we, we got to drill the well. And so I said, okay, you know, we drill the well. And then, and then the, the, well, the well man comes and he says, well, you know, I have to find the water. I said, well, how are you going to do that? He said, I got a, uh, you know, witching stick, a witching stick. You know, <laughs> I said, I walked around this whole property with everybody here. I prayed the perimeter of this property. Uh, I gave this property to God. This property's for God. Nobody's going to come on here with a witching stick. <laughs> you know, we're not going to go to the witch, to the devil, and, and ask where the water is. I said, no, no, we're not going to do that. He said, well, if we don't use the witching stick, then you have to decide. You know, where, you know, I said, well, how am I supposed to know? And so he, he, they said, well, where should we drill? And I just went like this. I said, I don't know, drill it there, just like that. <laughs> I just I don't know, drill it there. I said, like that. So they set up the big, huge, you know, well drilling thing, and they drill the thing. That is the most productive well they've ever seen in Ethiopia. <laughs> that well puts out 200 gallons a minute. That's an unbelievable amount of water. It's enough to provide all the city with the millions of inhabitants with water. It's just so much water comes out of there, you know. So anyway, that was God's provision. He, 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 he honored. So okay. So now, on the one hand, we have man's bottled water that will only result in thirsting again, but God's well of water springing up with a promise, you drink this water, you'll never thirst again. You have this water. And it's the same idea what he said in John 6, 35. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth in me shall never thirst. And this state, that state of never hungering, never thirsting again, is how believers are described in heaven. That's the description of believers in heaven in Romans, in, in Revelation 7, 13, 7, 16. Revelation 7, 16, where it says, they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ does. He's promising that the soul that's hungry, the soul that's thirsty for God, that, will, that only God can bring this deep, deep satisfaction. He's promising that if any soul comes to him with this devastating despair of this hunger, he said, I'll put in that soul my Holy Spirit. It'll be a continual fountain of soul satisfaction. That's what he's referring to. And so what he told the Gentile woman at the well was that that was, was, that was a person, that he was the person, that he was the gift of God. And the Gentile woman, she was willing, she was willing to discover that gift of God as the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he, by his Holy Spirit, could become in her this fountain of living water. She was willing to discover. If your name is, I don't care what your name is. If, it's like the Filipino pastor that told me, I told you this in the past, where he said, I just met a first Jewish person. Oh, really? Well, and he was, she said, I'm absolutely shocked. And why? He said, because the Jewish person told me, I'd rather go to hell than believe in Jesus Christ. This woman was not, would not rather go to hell than believe in Jesus Christ. She said, I'll discover. And so as we read in John 6, how this Gentile woman received the Lord Jesus Christ, it emphasizes to us as we read this what the tragedy this is for the Jewish people. 
When we read John 6, it's wonderful for the Gentiles. Uh, you know, you're all Gentiles, I'm sorry, except for one of you. Anyway, I'm sorry. But anyway, uh, God bless you, and that's wonderful, and I'm happy for you. And, and this is very good for this you know, woman in John 6 as well. But when you read this, it just emphasizes the tragedy for the Jewish people, the tragedy of it all. And the current tragedy of the Jewish people is that unlike this Gentile woman who wanted to receive the water, wanted to receive God's gifts, wanted to receive, and if the name was Jesus, that was okay. See, the Jewish people today, they do not want to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as God's gift to them. The Jewish people today do not want to receive God's gift, the Lord Jesus, if his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. If he's the hope of Israel, they don't want the hope. And they don't want the fountain of living waters, which is exactly what the prophet Jeremiah revealed when he said in Jeremiah 17, 13, O Lord, the hope of Israel, gives his title, all that forsake thee shall be ashamed, they that depart from thee shall be written in the earth, because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. And in this verse, the Lord Jesus Christ is called this very unique term, the hope of Israel. It's a very special title in the Bible for God, the hope, the hope. You know, that, 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 as you know, that's it. even the little kid can't take me, you know, so I'm sorry. <laughs> so anyway, all right. The hope, the hope is the name of the national anthem, as you know, of Israel, Hatikva, the hope. And, and, and we know that Jehovah Jesus, by, the, by this title, he, he, he's got, that's his title. He's the hope of Israel. He's also the king of the Jews. That's the title over his, his, his cross, the king of the Jews. In addition to being the king of the Jews, there's another great title for the Lord Jesus Christ. You, you put that, we put that down on all of the names of the Lord. He's the king of the Jews. He's El Shaddai. He's Adonai. He's Savior. He's Messiah. He's the hope of Israel as well. So the title, the hope of Israel, links the Lord Jesus Christ in that verse in, 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 in there that, to the fountain of living waters. The hope of Israel is the fountain of living waters, which if the Gentile woman knew the book of, of Jeremiah, she would have understood that he was speaking right out of the scriptures as the hope of Israel when he spoke about the fountain of living waters. And the current tragedy of the Jewish people is that they've forsaken the Lord Jesus Christ by saying he's for the Gentiles, he's not for Jewish people. How many times have I heard that? He's not for the Jewish people, it's for the Gentiles, and if you believe that, you're another goy. And, and the tragedy of the promise in Jeremiah 17, 13 is about what happens to everyone who forsakes him. It's not like, you know, well, you got your religion. He says, he says that the hope of Israel, all that forsake thee shall be ashamed. And they that depart from the issue written in the earth. Shame, written in the earth. Not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Not written in heaven, written in the earth. So this title of the Lord Jesus Christ as the hope of Israel is precious. It's preciously rare, and it's special. As a matter of fact, this verse is only one of two verses, both in the book of Jeremiah, that reveal Jehovah Jesus as the hope of Israel. The other verse there is Jeremiah 14, 8 where it says, Oh, the hope of Israel, the Savior thereof in time of trouble. Why shouldst thou be a stranger in the land and as a wayfaring man that turneth aside to tarry for a night? See, the only, that's the only other place where this is used. That's why Paul, at the end of his life, when he's in prison and he's, and he's at this last recorded time that Paul spoke to the Jewish people, it's really momentous. In, in, in Acts 28, 20. He's giving his final address to the Jewish people. After that, he's going to go meet the executioner's block. 
And he says in Acts 28, 20, for this, he's explained to them, why are you bound? They're looking at him and say, you know, he seemed to be an intelligent man. You know, we've got some good credentials, Roman, you know, speaks several languages. What's the matter with you anyways? They're looking at him. He said, why, what's wrong with you? And so in Acts 28, 20, he explains to them, he says, for this cause, therefore, have I called you, called for you to see you and to speak with you because that for the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. He says, that's what's wrong with me. He says, I have clung, I have clung, I have confessed the Lord Jesus Christ as the, as the hope of Israel, and therefore I'm chained up. All right, so now, the bottle of water, you're wondering, how do we ever get all over there from the bottle of water? You know, don't ask me, I don't know. But anyway, the bottle of water in verse 14 is symbolic of what the Jewish people have chosen instead of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this was a great lament of God. The prophets are a lot of God lamenting. You know, God, God does a lot of lamenting. You know, you feel sorry for God and the prophets, you know. When, every time he says, my people, you, you kind of go, oh, no, what's he going to say now? Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800 247 3051.